0: Welcome to Ashto Resource Q&A. We're taking time to discuss construction materials, testing, and inspection with people in the know. From exploring testing problems and solutions to laboratory best practices and quality management, we're covering topics important to you. Now, here's our host, Brian Johnson.
1: On this episode of Ashto Resource Q&A, we're going to have another taken from TechX episode where we give you a look in at what the Q&A session was like after one of the AASHTO Resource Technical Exchange presentations occurred. Kim, what are we gonna cover this time?
0: We are covering low proficiency sample program ratings and corrective actions. And this was recorded in March, 2021. And it was John Molesky, the proficiency sample program manager was the presenter. And the moderator is Ryan Lequay, who is a laboratory and testing manager.
2: All right, John, got a couple of questions here. Uh, So we'll just go ahead and uh, dive right in. First one, whenever you have ratings on a T30 gradation, one sample for like a number four uh, comes out with a rating of five, Another sample comes out with a rating of two, same equipment, same same technician. You do your investigation and you can't come up with anything. What would you do at that point?
3: Yeah. So that's, that's definitely one of those tricky situations. And it's, it's a really good question. We run into that a lot my main suggestion with that is if you've really been diligent with looking into your corrective actions the best thing to do is to evaluate those performance charts and take a look and see if there's anything that's uh, systemic if it doesn't appear to be a systemic situation it might just be you know a piece of rock that fractured especially in something like an ignition oven so you just need to be be careful be diligent but just make sure that you're not seeing any kind of major trend with your analysis process.
2: Following in that same vein, if you get a low score on sample A but a high score on sample B, and then the next year you get a low score on sample A and high score on sample B, do you get suspended at that point, or what happens there?
3: That's that's another very very common question we have involving the accreditation program, and the answer to that is no. As mentioned in the presentation, uh, you know you need to have four consecutive samples with low ratings and those ratings need to be zeros or ones or non-submittal of data. So if you have a you know two ones on one round in a year and the following year you have a four and a five or a three and a four or you could even have another one and a five you would not be suspended. It's essentially four consecutive samples where you would need to have low ratings.
2: Okay keep going in the same vein here Uh, if you have a low rating one year uh, you do your uh, your uh, corrective action investigation, and the next year, that data point or that data line gets suppressed, uh, so you have
3: no rating. Uh, does it carry over to the next round after that, or is it a fresh start? So the accreditation program will basically ignore the suppressed item. So they would look back, and you may go back to two to three years, right, in that situation. So you have a sample in 2020 where you had a low rating, in 2021, the item was suspended. In 2022, you would have low ratings. Then you would be suspended because of the 22 and the 20 rating. The 21 rating would essentially just be skipped over. But likewise, you know, if you receive satisfactory ratings on that 2022 round, then the accreditation would not have any action taken on it.
2: Okay. Would you mind talking about within lab repeatability? For a bit, how is calculated? Uh, is it implying that sample
3: A is a sample B? Why is it important? Okay, this is this is great. This is a really good good question and good lead-in. You know, we have have done several of these presentations on the sample programs at the technical exchange, and one of these upcoming years, we're going to take a deeper dive into the statistics and give a, a more, like I said, deeper explanation of the analysis process and how things are calculated. And the repeatability, it's, it's basically a measure of the difference from your two data points compared to the difference of the two grand averages. And then you take the total difference and divide it by the square root of two. So there's a little bit of algebra in there, and I, I touched on it a little bit today. But like I said, basically that repeatability is a measure of the difference between your data and the grand average data and we're just comparing those values and seeing how far you are away or how large your difference is compared to the difference between the two samples.
2: Okay, quick question about blind samples. Uh, Are they completely
3: different or is it the same uh, initial sample that you've possibly failed on? So we have a, a bank here of several years of samples. We conduct the stability testing on them as part of our ISO accreditation. So, we do maintain a bank and uh, basically we strip all of the data that would indicate what specific sample it is, and that's where the blind sample pool comes from. So we have all the information, our administrative assistants keep it, log it, and track it, and they pass that information on to our quality analysts when they're conducting the ratings for the reinstatement or uh, or uh, attempt at reinstatement for testing a blind sample.
2: Okay, uh, you kind of touched on uh, this next bit there. So let's go right into it. Uh, what do we do in regards to testing? Uh, are you involved in other testing programs? Do you do in-house testing?
3: So we do we do quite a bit of in-house testing when it comes to um, you know material design. Things like Marshall Veeam, and gyratory, we're making the mixed designs here for, for Marshall and gyratory. We don't we don't have a California compactor, so we're not doing veems here. But things like soil samples, we'll do liquid limits. Uh, you know CBR, will run those tests with the intention of basically making sure that the material is, is reasonable to test. You know, we're not going to go ahead and, and hit a spec limit every time because that variability that we provide keeps everybody on their toes, essentially. If we send out, you know, the same material, say, for example, the gyratory, and always at 115 millimeters with an air void ratio of 4%, you know, there's going to be some complacency. So we're going to do our best to, to change things up. But as it, as it pertains to material testing, I mentioned that we do quite a bit of homogeneity and stability testing. And Ryan, and, uh, I mean, that's basically your life. <laughs> you, you spend about 120 to 150 days a year in the laboratory just conducting homogeneity and stability testing. Uh, so we do quite a bit and we have a, we have a very good idea of what's going to happen with the material and, and how it's going to react.
2: All right, a little uh, change up topic. Uh, why is there not a sample for cutback asphalt?
3: So we actually did have a cutback asphalt sample years ago. I would have to ask the uh, PSP crew when that ended. Uh, My guess is probably in the 90s or even the early 2000s, but we did have a cutback program and we ended up having to remove it just because of the safety concerns with shipping cutbacks.
2: I can imagine now, especially with the issues we have with samples, soil samples going international or not, we could probably have issues there. Yeah. As well. Um, all right. So how would you address a low score on a multi-result test? For example, the DSR, uh, Delta G star and then G star sine Delta having a five, a two and a five.
3: Yeah. That one's also a little bit tricky. And, And I think where that relates to is the phase angle itself. It depends on the material, but it, you know, depends on how close that phase angle is to 90, uh, you know, it's dependent on, on how close you're dividing by one when you're looking at your, your calculation. That's kind of one of those tricky ones as well. And the one thing about the phase angle is the accreditation program doesn't evaluate it, you know, simply for that reason. You could have a laboratory who has a phase angle that's off by two or three tenths, and it could result in a, a zero for the phase angle but it may yield a result that's satisfactory for the G-star divided by sine delta. It kind of works in that situation. It could work in the opposite situation as well, you know, based off of that divisor. So okay.
2: follow-up question. How do you fix your bad score, say phase angle, without affecting your good scores on G-star and G-star sine delta?
3: Yeah, that, that's going to be one of those where, where I think you're going to have to do a little bit of investigation on what's going on with your procedure. And those can kind of be tricky especially with, with something so finicky like phase angle and, and how that could affect the results in DSR.
2: All right, so the Proficiency Sample Program puts a lot of emphasis on small statistical changes. Why is this so important when product specifications issue, issue much larger windows of error?
3: That's a, that's an awesome question, too, and we we actually struggle with this as well. Uh, you know, when we order material, we, we kind of feel that same pain. We're trying to make a mix design that's... You know very accurate we're trying to send all of you materials that are very very precise they have very good uniformity but when we plan a mixed design and we look at the stockpile information and you know we see that a, a gradation band for stockpile can have a, a tolerance of 60 percent in it you know how do you plan for that so we understand where, where you are coming from with that and and we feel that pain as well but we want to make sure that we are trying to ensure that the program measures the accuracy of your testing and that's basically what it comes down to so we understand that that those spec limits are you know they can have a wide range and a a large tolerance but we want to make sure that we're we're looking at the accuracy of the program and the accuracy of your test results Mm
2: -hmm. all right uh ASTM D1557 states that reusing material for compaction can result in significantly higher density Uh, but with the sample that we provide, uh, we don't have enough cure to run four points. Uh, What are your suggestions regarding this?
3: So at this point, we have made the decision to not add that extra material into the sample uh, just simply for logistical purposes with shipping. The more more material you ship, the more expensive everything gets gets on our end and it would eventually have to be passed down along to you. If you take a look at the data that we've got out there you can see that we have some pretty good consistency, even though the uh, the material is reused. Whether the laboratory is using the ASH or or ASTM version, and I know we kind of uh, eliminate that uh, with the specification or with our revising the instructions to reuse the material. You know, everybody's still doing it the same way. Everyone is being consistent with it, and and that's the intent of those sample instructions. As long as we can maintain consistency throughout the specific round in the testing, then we should see consistent results. And that's basically what, what we're looking at when we have the specialized portions of the sample instructions.
2: Okay, cycling back to uh, some low rating issues. Whenever you have a result that you know, gives you a failure, zero or one, and you compare it against the multi-laboratory precision listed in the specification, uh, what happens if the filling mark is within that precision statement?
3: So this is another very very common question that we get and and kind of going back to the previous question where we were talking about the specifications kind of ties along with that we're we're trying to look at the accuracy of the testing at that point when you are talking about a precision estimate that estimate is intended to encompass as many materials and situations as possible you know we provide. I I could not imagine. I can't even explain how much data we provide to Ashto and ASTM for revising precision estimates. And those estimates come from the data that's generated within the programs. You know, Ryan and I typically provide this data, and and we're giving these organizations anywhere between 10 and 15 years of data. You know, so there's all that variability compiled into that estimate. So that estimate is should naturally be larger than what we see within one individual round of a program unless we try to do something to, to cause a little bit of additional variability. So, you know, to kind of just sum it up, it's, it's more meant for a measure of accuracy than it is, like I said, to just ensure that you're inside a precision estimate.
2: Okay, do we check our data for normality?
3: Yes, the data is checked multiple ways for normality. We, uh, you know, evaluate the core data. It should roughly be about 75% that we accept. We do normal probability plots. I've messed around with some kernel density plots. So yes, we do have a, a very thorough, robust check for normality.
2: Okay, uh, we're uh, getting a little close to the end here. So one more. Is there any plans for the uh, Hamburg wheel track to be incorporated
3: into the PSP? I think I, we had a discussion, Ryan and I had a discussion about this, uh, it wasn't, wasn't too very long ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the Hamburg, we, we had thought about doing that. Uh, And we pitched it to our oversight committee and uh, also to the Committee on Materials and pavements. And we had a discussion with that group and we were discussing using gyratory samples and and our gyratory design, but we ran into uh, a kind of a sticking point about how good the gyratory pucks would be to be sawed in half and, and essentially used for those samples. And we found out that, you know, there would be a lot of variability with the air voids throughout the puck. So the only real good way to do that would be to essentially mix those samples on our own and compact them in our gyratory compactor, saw them and then send them to the laboratories. And the amount of workload would be incredible for us to try to manage that. So uh, we just do not have enough resources to handle that kind of program at this point.
2: Okay. All right. Well, uh, we're about out of time here. So thank you so much, John. Thank you everyone for being here for your questions. This is the last session. So have a good evening and uh, enjoy the rest of your week. Thanks, Ryan.
1: And that was the Q and A session from low PSP ratings and corrective actions from the 2021 Ashto Resource Technical Exchange. Again, the moderator was Ryan LaQuay. And the person answering those questions was John Molusky the manager of the proficiency sample program. So he knows a little bit about that stuff. Uh, if you want to hear more about what goes on at the technical exchange, join us at the next one, the 2022 AASHTO Resource Technical Exchange on, Kim, when is that again?
0: March 28th through 31st, 2022. If you want more information about next year's technical exchange, visit our events webpage at AASHTOResource.org slash events. Thanks for listening to Ashto Resource Q&A. If you'd like to be a guest or just submit a question, send us an email at podcast at ashtoresource.org. or call Brian at 240-436-4820. For other news and related content, check out Ashto Resources' Twitter feed or go to Ashtoresource.org.